Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. All right, that's it. Man, I hit a button and the magic begins. It's the trigger for the amazingness that comes. My guest today is a serial entrepreneur. He is also a negotiations ninja. And I could use a little <laughs> more help with this and I could learn from it. I'm sure we all could. Not only that, but he's a thought leader in the B2B space, hence being on this show, uh, in the content marketing world, negotiation world, even behavioral science, which I love that topic. Because if I can understand myself, maybe just 1% more, the world is just that much better. Um, but then understanding other people, I mean, that's how marketing works. So that, what else is he doing? He's so busy. He's doing a lot of stuff. Host of two podcasts. Which one? The Content Callout Podcast. And he is the host and founder of the Negotiations Ninja Podcast, which has grown to be number one, number one in the world on negotiation. Hell yeah. We're going to learn from the best today. Founder and head of marketing at Content Callout, Mark Raffin. Welcome to the show. You make me sound a lot more impressive than I actually am. I hope I don't let your guests down. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you don't, man. You got to live up to this. Oh, man. It sounded so, cool, so much cooler when I was hearing it. I was like, wow, who is this guy? I was going to say, we paid good money for this appearance. No, we didn't. <laughs> this, this is good money here. I'm getting my money's out. worth. <laughs> so, hey, man, the, the theme of the show it. We're going to talk B2B, content marketing for sure, negotiation, brand, love to get into behavior. Um, so I, I got to pass you something. It's kind of heavy, so bear with me. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. The, the take hammer, this. Thor's the hammer. You got I it? I do. Take it? It's the real one. Okay, I'll, you got it? I'll take right. it. Uh, yeah, I got, go. it. got it. Okay, good. So take Thor's hammer, smash for me some kind of myth bogus strategy, misconception, just set the record straight once and for all. Yeah, look, there's so many in the B2B space. I think probably the biggest myth in B2B marketing in general is that B2B brands shouldn't post as much top of funnel awareness content. Um, they're so focused on bottom of funnel. Um, and it's just, it's such a, such a shite strategy. You got to be ba balanced throughout. Um, you got to have good top of funnel awareness content that you're pushing out. And also don't take yourself so seriously. There's so many B2B brands today that are taking themselves way too seriously. You're not that important, right? Like it, you're not the president. You're not some head of state. You're, you're not the Pope. Relax. It's okay. Just take a Stop breath, taking right? taking yourself so seriously. <laughs> have some fun with your brand, right? I mean, yeah. If, you, if, you're, if you're doing this marketing thing and you're not having fun, then you're missing the point. Well, why do people do that? Are they just, they don't want to portray that they're not unprofessional, the idea of fun? I think so. I think, I think yeah, it's, it's probably misguided effort in some sort of way where, you know, we, we want to portray that we're professional and that you can do business with us and that, you know, we're the, the cornerstone of, you know, this type of business, but it, it, I think it comes off as very stuffy a lot mm -hmm. of the time um, and, and just very unaware of, of who the consumer is. The consumer is also someone who likes to have fun, right? They're not right. business all the time. And I think we, B2B brands have done a really good job of speaking to that corporate side of the consumer. 
um, and speaking to their the corporate side of their target audience, but yeah. they've done a really crappy job of speaking to the fun side of their target audience. And in today's day and age, we need to be interacting with all parts of that target audience's personality and hanging out with them in all areas. So I, I think there's a there's a major, major misstep on a lot of B2B brands to say, well, we got to be all corporate all the time. That's not true. You don't mm. have to. It's like, it's like we're trying to all be IBM, but everybody knows you don't want to hang out with IBM in an after party. Yeah, like, it, would you invite those people to a party? Probably yeah. not. Hey, who invited <laughs> IBM? Yeah, right? Like, hey, who invited the Watson guys? Why are right. they so seriously? Oh, man, I don't know, so man. It's, it's just, yeah, it, it, I would, I don't know. You, you want to you wanna be invited to the parties, right? Yeah. And a, a really good friend of mine is said, he he has a really successful online community, micro community on Slack. He um, he said, "Look, we want to be taken seriously, but we also want to host the best parties that everyone wants to go to. Because if you come to our parties that you know everyone wants to go to, then everyone talks about it. And if everyone talks about it, then you're going to get more coverage, and that's positive coverage. You want that. Um, so it's mm. yeah, I, I think." Yeah, it's probably misdirected more than anything else, right? These B2B brands want to be seen as professional, but at the same time, what they've done in the process is they've really neutered themselves yeah. to be able to have fun. It, and I guess, I mean, maybe there's probably a line in there too, which makes it harder. It's not like we're saying- Totally, I mean, you can't push it beer to, pong on you know, your you're webinars. not doing cocaine and hookers, right? Like it's not- there you you can't push it that far, right? Yeah, I, I said food. I was saying beer pong, and you went <laughs> cocaine and strippers, right? So, okay, so, so maybe our levels of pushing it too far are a little bit. You guys different, do have more fun in Canada, clearly. Yeah, you know what? It's something we can it's learn. It's a from wild you. place up here, man. Us and the yeah, polar seriously. bears, we just we just let it go. Especially Alberta. I mean, what what is even up there, man? Ah, uh, not a lot, man. Not a lot. No, I'm kidding. It's a beautiful place, actually. Yeah, if I you ever get the that. opportunity, like I live in Calgary, which is right in the foothills of the Rockies, basically. I'm an hour away from the mountains, um, and it's it's incredible. How about those flames, huh? Let's not talk about that. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we're we're having fun. We're having fun on this conversation. A lot of people, it's that edited content, and this goes into content. I know you're you're big into content as well. The writing style follows suit. Yeah. Like if if that brand image you're creating, it's like you're, and it and it, it kind of probably feels like your split personality because the people probably are fun. You probably are a fun person listening to this. In fact, everyone listening to this is super fun. But if in the back of your mind you're like, oh, but I have to like restrain this and make make it dry. And then it, instead of being the, the hall at a dorm party, it's the, the hall at a hospital. It's very clean. Right. The content, right. people don't want to read that. You know, it's, it's tough. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think we've done, like a lot of B2B brands have done a really good job of understanding the avatar of who their target market is on one side, like I said. But we really need to, if we're going to really connect with them, we really need to understand them at a much much deeper level. Um, I can't remember who it was. I saw a, a really great tweet. It must have been from like a Seth Godin or something like that, where he said, if you need to understand your customer at the deepest level possible. And when we're talking about deepest level, I mean like family best friend level, right? Like yeah. that's the kind of level that we need to understand these people. We need to know all the 
dirty, dark secrets. We need to understand how they have fun, where they have fun, what they do with their families on the weekends, if they have families, all of that kind of stuff is super important. Right. I don't know if you know of Alice. Have you heard of that? A-L-Y. No. Um, I had Greg Seagal on. Um, I don't, I'd never, I didn't ask him if he was related to Steven Seagal, but uh, I should have, dang it. (laughs) But he was saying um, his big thing is, you know, getting to, everyone's getting to know their, their customers nine to five. We need to get to know their five to nine. Exactly. You know, the other, and this sounds like what you're saying. We got to know that. We had Jeannie Walden on our show recently and she talked about weekend words and she, she crosses over, you know, because we can talk ethereally about knowing our customers, but what does that actually mean? Right. So how do we, how do they talk on the weekends? What are their weekend words and Mm. how do you tie that into your content to, you know, if someone's searching for something and they're your target market, what's the SEO that's actually behind that? What are their weekend words? And how are you going to connect with those weekend words so you can be in those places where your customers are? I thought that was a brilliant strategy to understand the weekend words. What, what are customers. some weekend words? Because like, uh, it could be anything, right? What, what, like, yeah, so I mean, if, if for example, if you're, if you're thinking about you know, who your target customer is, if you've got a really clear understanding of who your avatar is. So for example, um, let's just say our target customer is some sort of marketing executive. We know that disproportionately most marketing executives are women, right? And then they're in a certain age range. And then that certain age range, they probably have a family. They probably have kids. And so what are they doing on the weekends? Well, Mm. they're doing all of these things on the weekends with their family, with their kids. And now we can develop weekend words around that so that we can connect with those target customers in a whole new way. Got it. Infuse that into your content. Exactly. Yeah. So like the, the, the examples, the metaphors you use instead of, you know, having a 22 year old college metaphor, which those come really easy for me. Um, <laughs> still years later, few, few years later. Um, it's like, okay, what are maybe the metaphors that appeal the most to your reader? Totally. Like if you were, if you were in the finance space and you were trying to connect with a a finance target market, we know that the executives in that space are the, you know, are mostly men and maybe they're not married. Maybe they're single, maybe they're bachelors, maybe they do something else on the weekends. You need to connect with them in that sort of way. Like what are they into? So really, really deeply understanding that target market is, is super critical. Yeah. Yeah, really get now how do you how do you get that how do you get that though? How do you how do you I, find that? I out? think you've really got to interview your existing customer base, right? So if you're an established business right now, go to your existing customer base and say, look, we're trying to understand our customers at a much deeper level. Pick your top five customers and go have a really deep discussion with them. Like what do you do on the weekends? Um, what do you do for fun? Mm-hmm. All of that kind of stuff. And you're gonna to start to see trends amongst all of your different customers and when you can pick up on those trends that's where you can focus in on i think it's got to come down to a really in-person interactive discussion with your actual customers don't guess right like don't just guess go and actually chat with your target market don't guess don't send out a mail not mailchimp um the old survey monkey. Don't send survey, a survey yeah, monkey. Don't send out a survey. What do you do on weekends? Yeah, like no one's going to answer that. Play ball. Spend time with friends. Pick up the phone and have a conversation. Yeah. Because you'll, you'll bias it. You'll put the wrong bullets in there. Totally. And then record it on Zoom. And then yeah. have your riders listen to that yeah. and get the transcript done. And now you've got a better understanding of the real actual words right. that are used. 
turn into a podcast. Hello, yeah. Yahtzee. <laughs> Fantastic. And that, then you can spin that out into a multitude of different things. Yeah. But oh, I, right. I think it's, it's great advice. And the, when she gave that advice, I was like, man, that's such mind-blowing advice. Take that, you know, understand your customer at a deeper level, but what is, how does that translate into actual SEO? Mm. And so how do you deliver that? That's, that was she was talking SEO, but I could see that translating to everything. Oh, yeah, everything. Absolutely. I, you know, there's also really good personality um, tools that are online right now that can hook up into LinkedIn, for example. So if you're looking at your existing customer base, now you can see at a deep level the kind of personality that they have, the way that you should approach them. So even if you're crafting individual messages to individual customers, you can really shape that in a big, big way. Hmm. Yeah, I feel I feel like the B2C folks, I mean, sometimes grass is always greener, but they've, they've done a great job in some cases of making those connections, you know? Totally, totally. I mean, like the last time you saw Coca-Cola, when did they ever advertise Coca-Cola, right? right? Like never. They're advertising fun on the beach or- Christmas. <laughs> Christmas, yeah, right? Or like Red Bull, they're, they're advertising some dude jumping from the edge of space, right? Like it's- I want a Red Bull hat. That would be so they, cool. They understand yeah. they're, they're, they're media companies, really. I mean, if you th yeah. they're media companies that happen to sell products. Yeah. And so if you think about how they're connecting with their target consumer, they're much better at it than B2B companies. Much better. Media companies that happen to sell products. Oh, totally. I, I wonder, like, that really is a great model. You know, I, oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Like if you read um, any of Joe Polizzi's work, like uh, basically the OG of the content marketing space, right. um, he talks about this a lot in his, especially in his first work um, where he's like, this was early 2000s where he said, look, in, in a few years, these companies are going to be doubling down on media in a big way because it's really the only way to separate themselves amongst the competition, right? Yeah. One energy drink compared to another energy drink in a store, you're going to be like, well, I don't know, I guess I'll big pick Monster instead mm -hmm. of Red Bull. So what are you doing to make the customer pick Red Bull over Monster? Yeah. Well, the brand has to be super, super strong. And what's the best and easiest way to do that is to double down on media, to double down on advertising, to double down on, you know, all these events that they sponsor. And now when you go into a, a, a store and you think of energy drinks, probably the first thing you think of is Red Bull because of all the extreme activities that they're associated with. And so they, yeah. they've cornered the space. And I think there's a, there's a lot of runway still for B2B brands on that side. And I think you're going to see a lot of that happen in the next, especially in the next five years because of what's happened, you know, with, with COVID and everything like that. And whenever this gets published, it doesn't really matter. You're still going to feel the effect of that. Right. Yeah. And so if you're not investing in good content and good content production, whether it's written video, audio, whatever it is, you're missing the boat in yeah. a big way, it, especially it, when like voice starts to pick up. Mm. If you're not in voice, you're screwed. Man, I keep hearing about voice. I'm, I'm going to take us there in a second. But um, just to go back to what you'd said about Red Bull real quick, we tune out ads, but we don't tune out, you know, if it's what you like watching, some dude yeah. jumping off of something and throwing his Red oh, Bull. Oh, yeah. You don't, you don't tune out a, a competition or a documentary. Yeah. No. No. Yeah, like, like, you know if you've seen the guys that they do the ice skating downhill? Totally. Right. Yeah. The, the, what is it? Crashed ice. Red crashed Bulls, ice. Crashed yeah. Ice. yeah it's, it's amazing. It's ridiculous. It's can you but do Red that? Bulls I mean, you're from Canada, so you can skate, right? 
Uh, yeah, well, the assumption is that everyone from Canada can skate, <laughs> and it's true. It's true. <laughs> but yeah, no, I skate like a rhino chasing after Smarties on the ice, man. It's bad. I'm with you. Uh, yeah. The Mighty Ducks was filmed based on, on me and my skating ability, so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So, so, I mean, that's Red Bull. It, how, how can, and I know you've said this earlier, the idea of like B2B needs to be more brave, have more courage. How, exactly. how do, how do we capture, how do we make a brand like that in the B2B world? I mean, not anyone's going to, not everyone can be Red Bull, right? So let's, that's maybe a myth okay. that you and I have created just in this little session. So right. let's, let's smash <laughs> that up right away. Quick. Right, you, you probably you can't be like Red Bull, but you can be. You're um, saying? You say, I can't, Red, I can't be like Red Bull. Sorry, <laughs> but you could be the Red Bull of your of your space, right? So, okay. um, when you're, th let's just use something super boring. Let's use um, legal. Let's use lawyers. Yep. Sorry, lawyers. Definitely you're boring. Super boring. But um, we appreciate. But you. if you're if you're gonna be the thought leader of your space right? Like what is it that your firm specializes in? Is it accidents? Is it corporate law? Is it, um, is it tax planning? What is it? And then how do you develop yourself to be the thought leader within that space? And so you've got to really be developing thought leadership content around that, whether it's video, audio, written, whatever it might be, you've got to be consistently putting out great content so that people come to you. It's not, it's, you know, anyone can throw up crap on a billboard or on a PPC ad or whatever it is to say, hey, if you've been in an accident, click here. You're just competing on keywords. Yes. All you have to do is have the right copy and spend the right money, right? Then you're going to get the clicks. <clears throat> but if you want people to consistently come to you, then you've got to be creating great content. It, it really, it, it brings you above the billboards, Big digital time. or otherwise. It, Big it, time. In your competing you're not even competing because you're it or you're yeah, you're the person you're the yeah. girl you're the guy when when people think of that thing they think you know whatever law firm great that's what we want them to think right. and yes it means you've got to invest but what were you going to do anyway right, right? were you just going to hope and pray that people were going to knock on your door by the right. way virtual settings are the thing now people no one's knocking on your door Right. So how are you going to get people to come in, right? What are the different ways that you're going to drive traffic? Hopefully you've got a great outbound sales team. Hopefully you've got really good paid search and hopefully you've got great content that drives a lot of great SEO and a lot of great traffic on social. So if, if you don't have those three things locked down, you've got to start investing now because your business is just not going to make it. If, right. if you don't have that, if you're relying on, you know, just word of mouth, how is that word of mouth being developed? Well, it's being developed through your customers, of course, but if you're not investing in great content so that people spread the word, yeah, like, hey, check out this great article that XYZ Law Firm just released, or check out this great video that XYZ Law Firm just released, or this podcast, or whatever it might be, right? How are you creating that word of mouth? Yeah. If, it's if you're just relying on your existing customers, you're not, you're not going to make it. And even if it worked for you before, like how- It's not going to work for you now. Yeah. COVID may change all that. Um, question at the very beginning. I mean, you've smashed like three things. You basically took that hammer and just went tally-ho. Yeah, sorry um, Across the board. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned in the very beginning was the idea of people thinking, that it, everyone focusing on the end of the funnel content, the late mm. stage 
buying content, not the top stage. Maybe could you, could you, could you kind of refresh and what's your approach on like, what are the different stages of type of content? And then totally. why are we obsessing over one over the other? Yeah, I think there's, everyone wants bottom of funnel content because it's, they believe that it's going to drive the the lead or the engagement or the interaction, right? So when we're thinking of bottom of funnel, especially in the in the content space, it's like white papers, it's webinars, it's case studies, ebooks, that kind of stuff that, you know, go to this page to download the white paper to drive the email so that we can nurture the lead to get them into the funnel to, you know, make that happen. And then in that white paper, it's like book a demo with us today or book a call with us today. That's exciting because we think it drives a lot of engagement and a lot of interaction. And we're going to get a, we're going to get a demo out of it, or we're going to get an appointment out of it, which is, which is true. But if no one knows that you exist, is anyone actually going to download that white paper? Right? So that's where the big, that's where the big gap is. People don't magically find your, your papers. I mean, that's that I've seen different numbers of it, but like 87% of content goes unconsumed just because you built it doesn't mean they come. And you know what? So many people make the webinar their lead source. Like, no, people did not magically realize you had a webinar and come to it. Someone had to somehow tell them about it. Right. So you, you've got to have good SEM behind that. Yeah. Um, but you've also got to have good top of funnel content as well. Okay. Because it's not, it's not like you're just going to go up to like, this is something that I, I have a major issue with, with a lot of people on online and especially social media marketing. Like if you were going to a cocktail party or you were going to a conference, maybe a conference is a better example. And you went and shook someone's hand or, you know, maybe gave them an elbow bump these days. Yeah. But you said, Hey, I'm Mark Buy my stuff. <laughs> they're not going to do that, right? They want to get to know you better. First. Some people do that, is I, which is insane. They do right? it on LinkedIn like, and they do it in person. And which never weird. happens. It's not a real thing. No one's ever going to do that. You, like I was, I was speaking to a, a customer the other day and they sell a very complex software. That's like entry level. You're starting at 80 grand a pop, right? And then it just goes incredibly up from there, depending on the size of the enterprise, right? And it could be upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they said, well, can't we just put an ad on LinkedIn that says, click here to book an appointment to listen to our sales rep? I was like, no. They don't know you, right? Like, first of all, if they're searching for your product, they probably don't even know what they're searching for, right? They don't okay. even know that you're competing within the space. So how are we going to educate them about the space and make sure that they understand that your product is the best within that space? That's what we're trying to drive for. They, right. you're, it's not like you're not selling COVID masks. You're, you're not selling pens. This, this is not a, a, yeah. a one time. This is a complex service. They're not going to just go and drop 70, 80 grand in one phone call. It's not going to happen. So you've got to nurture that lead along the way. And how are you going to nurture that lead? You're going to nurture it through great content to show that those people to those people that you're the thought leader within the space. And then naturally their thought process is going to be like, well, this is the only company that's producing amazing content and telling me exactly what I need to know before I buy anything about why I need to think these things. I should probably speak to them and get their opinion before I buy. And then when we create that, now we can actually have a conversation. 
So there's this, yeah. this focus on, you know, all these B2B brands creating this bottom of funnel content and white papers, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But if they don't even know that you exist, if you haven't nurtured these, this audience along the way to say, here's all this top of funnel content, you know, 10 reasons why you should think about these three things before you buy X piece of software. That's, that's the kind of stuff that you need to be producing. And so they're heavily weighted on the bottom and not enough on the top. Um, and it really just needs to be more balanced more than anything else. You know, what's funny. I think I've been doing that and I've been maybe even teaching people, um, like, Oh, just, uh, like for me, late stage was like case studies totally, and things are just trying to convince you that you're going to make the right decision. You won't get fired. And the early stage content was to tell people that there is a problem, but yeah, even though I know that I feel like I still have done more of the, I like doing webinars, but I've done a lot webinars of the, are great. The, the, the later stage stuff when you actually know, Oh, this guy's really smart. We want to join his webinar and learn something. But if you don't know, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I need to, we need to do more top of the funnel. Stuff. Yeah. There, I mean like blogs, social networking, so that mm -hmm. kind of social content memes, infographics, audiograms, that's all top of funnel for me. Mm. Um, and when then we get into like middle to bottom of funnel middle, we're talking about like free trials, case studies, eBooks. And then as we go down, it's like targeted email campaigns, white papers, ROI tools, digital assessments, yeah. tailored workshops, tailored webinars, that kind of stuff. That's when we start getting deeper and deeper. Um, that top of funnel social content, you know, the infographic stuff to, to teach. Yeah. I just don't see it. Yeah, I don't either. You're right. And we need more of that. I think so. Is it harder to do? Why do we not have it? I just think they, they think it's not a good investment. Oh, uh, you you're, you're, you're not tying it. Oh, look, we got a yeah. request for a sales pitch out of this. Or, yeah, you, you, yeah. You could, this, that, that, that really happens, right? So I think right. it's an ROI thing. And uh, to be fair, we as marketers have probably done a shit job of showing the ROI for top of funnel content. Um, and so I think that probably is a place that we need to work on. 100%, man. Can we talk negotiation? Let's do say? it. Um, so, arigatou uh, <laughs> gozaimasu. Um, so, hey, you got the number one negotiation podcast. I'm sure we could do a whole other episode just in negotiation. But like, you know, we have a lot of marketers listening, a lot of people um, is there, is there some negotiation stuff that we, you could just like impart some wisdom on us around how to better negotiate in within our own departments or maybe as we're interfacing Definitely. with sales who are probably way better at negotiation than we are because they do it all the time? Yeah, absolutely. Rule number one, always ask for more than you expect to get. Always. Don't, don't assume that the other party is going to be rational and reasonable. They're going into this. They're always going to be looking for a deal. Chances are right? Yeah. If, you're, if you're assuming that you're going to ask for a quote-unquote fair price and the other party is going to look at that and go, oh, that's fair, right. that's just not going to happen. First of all, your perception of what's fair and the counterparty's perception of what's fair are two completely different things. Okay. 
So don't assume that the counterparty thinks that your price is fair just automatically. So always ask for more than you expect to get. That gives you room to negotiate. And it also changes the perception of the value of the product or service that you're selling, right? Because they came in with a certain idea about how much your sh thing should be. And if you ask for more than that, now you're starting to shape the perception that this is actually a more value-added product or service. So that's probably rule number one. Always ask for more than you expect to get. And then rule number two is plan, prepare, and strategize. Always plan your negotiation ahead of time. Think about the things that you're going to ask for. Think about where you're going to walk away in that negotiation. Think about what's optimal for you to get so that you don't push past what's quote unquote reasonable. And then just make sure that you're ready. Um, there's so many tools that um, I could provide that would help people. Uh, but really it comes down to planning and preparing, making sure that you're ready. Don't just wing it. You see like all these, I think we've probably got ourselves to blame for this in the marketing world, but you see these media um, depictions of what negotiation is. Like you watch Wolf of Wall Street or Boiler yeah. Room or uh, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross. And you know, it's these guys just wing it. It looked like they're winging it on a negotiation that's not negotiation that if you go in doing that, you're going to lose almost every single time wow. because if you're not prepared. The other party is going to pick up on that almost immediately and they're going to crush you. So those are probably the big ones. How, how do you get crushed when you're not prepared? Like what happens? You're not ready. You're not ready for the conversation. So if I start asking for more and I start fumbling, you start fumbling and you don't call a timeout. Now, not only do you look like an idiot, right? <laughs> Basically, because you're not prepared and I can tell that you're not prepared. But now if you keep going, if you don't call a timeout, I'm going to call you back. I'm not prepared. Then you're going to make mistakes. You're going to agree to things that you shouldn't necessarily agree to. You're going to go past the point where you should be walking away yeah. And you're going to come and get a deal that doesn't make sense for the business and it doesn't make sense for you. So you're going to agree to something that may, may actually lose money for the business. You take that to your CFO, your CFO says, great, now we're losing money, dumbass, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's for example, like there's a lot of agencies that, you know, agree to these retainer deals that the buyers on the other side, the people that are using them, fully exploit. They fully mm. exploit those retainers because they haven't been, they haven't defined the amount of time that's required for these retainers. And so I'll just burn through as many hours as possible if I'm the person who's buying that service to like get my money's worth. And so your effective hourly rate at the end of it becomes like what, $15 an hour? When, because you weren't defined enough in your presentation, you weren't defined enough in your contract or your negotiations. But if you had planned properly, then you would have had that. So yeah. it's, it's a big miss on a lot of agencies. Planning. Um, Planning. Yeah, I, big, I, big. A memory came back to me as you, said, as you said that. I remember early in my early days, someone asked me for a discount and I was so in, early into it. I was, like, I, I was like, oh, I forgot to think about that. And and, yeah. and he was like, he was a nice guy. And that's the thing. Like, it's not like mean people ask for discounts. No, it's re no, no, no. Look, it, I, I would be, if, Why not? If, I, if someone didn't ask me for a discount, I would almost be disappointed, right? Because you're going you're gonna to obviously try and optimize the cost of whatever it is you're buying. To not expect a discount would mm -hmm. be foolish, right? Don't, don't be ridiculous. Yeah. And so 
I think a lot of these agencies come in and they, they feel, almost feel offended in a kind of way. I actually, so backstory, I actually used to work in procurement buying marketing services from large agencies. No way. Yeah. And so I was the guy on the other side of the table grinding the gears of these large agencies to give us more money. And it's, it's insane how easy it is. It's so easy because they're not used to it, right? They're not used to negotiating their services. Typically, they've just dealt with whoever the internal marketing person is at that organization. But now, because of the role of procurement jumping into things and being more active in the organization, trying to manage costs and risk, wow. now procurement's just having a heyday, a field day. It's crazy. And these agencies are giving it away because they don't know how to negotiate. It's, it's nuts. And now are you, you're like, you, I think I've seen like some procurement teams, like they track and they measure like how much did we save our company? Like oh, that's yeah. your goal. So your goal yeah. is to beat these people up. Yeah. And a lot of procurement people get bonus based on the performance that they've had. Right. Wow. So how much did I save? How much of that is accurately reflected in my bonus? Right. What that's about what they get measured on. What about, let's say, you know, marketer listening to this to negotiate salaries? Yeah, any totally. Tip, any tips? For, I mean, same. You said rule number one. I mean, you got two. so think about the think about the environment that you're in, yeah. right? So, is it a tight market or is it a loose market? Tight meaning, um, you know, there's not a lot of places for you to move to right now. Maybe there's one or two places you could move to, and so your leverage is low. Or is it loose meaning you could move anywhere, right? Like nine months ago you could go anywhere you wanted, yeah, right? The loose. market was super loose. You could do whatever you wanted and you ask for whatever you wanted and be fine. Yeah. Now, not so much, right? Yeah. There's a lot of the unemployment numbers are increasing. And so you got to be a lot more strategic about what you're asking for and how you're asking for it. Don't just ask for an increase in salary because if they don't give you that, then, then what, what are you going to do? Right? So, right it's not just an increase in salary. Maybe it's an increase in days off. Maybe it's paying for certain types of education. Maybe it's doing other things within the organization to make you happier. So when I say always ask for more than you expect to get, it's not just binary of more money. It's also the variety of things that you're asking for. Increase that too, because maybe a win for you isn't necessarily an increase in salary, but maybe it's an increase in the amount of personal days off that you would get in a given right. So just be very cautious about being very binary in your negotiation. Have a number of things that you'd like to negotiate on. And when you go into that negotiation, be prepared to negotiate on all of those things. And also know very clearly what your walkaway point is going to be. Internal negotiations are a little bit different, especially when you're asking your boss for a wage increase or more time off. You're not going to go in and say, hey, listen, the reason that we're here today is to negotiate X, Y, and Z. It's going to be much more personable. It's going to be much more amiable. So try, try your best to make it as conversational as possible and, and also show why why yeah. you deserve those things, why you need that increase, all of those things. Because if you don't have good reasons to do that, you're not going to get it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and don't take it personally. Yeah. The, the company is trying to optimize labor costs as best they can. It's not about you. It's right. about optimizing the labor costs. So many, many of us take it personally. It's not a personal thing. You know, that's a really good point. Don't, I mean, I remember early me, little, little case, you were going to talk about little mark in a little bit but uh i know early me would have taken it personally like, what but i deserve more you know you're not gonna give me a raise how right? dare you 
It's not about you, man. I'll take it personally. It's probably mostly about optimizing the labor cost. Yeah, and you know, now being on the other side of the agency world, actually having a company, you realize, oh, yeah, it's not all it's not all roses and uh, golden brick paths. Like that's right. Um, you know, just because a company, you know. Uh, grosses some revenue doesn't mean they net it. There's a lot of right. expenses to uh, to pay. So, um, but yeah, I think kind of seeing the other person's point of view and just coming out, it, it makes sense of like, hey, I'd also like to take on more of this. Like, right. I, like I won't, my value has grown. Maybe it already has. If it hasn't, here's how I want to grow my own value in the company. Um, so now I'm doing like the job of two people or of a more senior person. And, you know, as a result of that, I'd like to do X, Y, and Z. I like the fact that you have several different things. Cause I remember sometimes, times I would not get the raise just yet, but I maybe get the title or something right. else, you know, and, or the training or free training or send you to some kind of course or something. Yeah, totally. Good stuff, man. Well, Hey, where do you think um, all that, by the way, I could talk to you for days about this, but um, where do you think all this, the, the marketing, the, the negotiation, just the, our, the way our buyers are and how we're kind of more virtual now. Tell me about the future. Where do you, where do you think it's going? Do you see any opportunities coming down the line um, that are worth uh, hopping on? Yeah, man. Um, this, I mean, this goes into a conversation that you and I had a little while ago about AI, I think, and, yes. and machine learning. I think. Is it time? Is it time to talk AI? Can we? Can we it's, put on a geek hat? I think it's, Oop. yeah, I think it's time. Like if you look, okay, two things. Um, AI with negotiation is really advancing quickly. There's technologies now that are automating negotiations between a bot essentially and a person. So for example, I think Walmart recently rolled this out with their tailspin. So tailspin for the marketing people that are in here is qualified as the the 20% of spend that's really diverse that we just don't have the staff to be able to tackle. Um, so we don't have the resources, we don't have the people because it's, it's all over the place and may include um, everything from toilet paper to gloves to, you know, just random supplies that your company would buy, right? That's all mm. tailspin. So it's like, it, it's a cost they incur. Right. Walmart, yeah, they've for, got for the organization, toilet paper right? and so stuff. So if you were a big industrial yeah. company, it would be like safety goggles, safety gloves, hard hats, stuff that's really important, but we really don't pay attention to because we don't have the resources because it's so low value. Yeah. But collectively, it actually makes up a lot of money. It really makes up that 80-20 Pareto principle, right? Yeah. So 80% of your spend is by 20% of your suppliers, and then 20% of your spend is by the remaining 80% of your suppliers. And so you have all of this really disparate spend all over the place. Now, there's technologies that are automating the negotiation on that tail spend, right? And so they're, ne and they're negotiating it at scale. Meaning yeah. if I was negotiating the price of toilet paper, like I was Walmart, for example, and I was negotiating the price of toilet paper for all of our stores between you and me, and I was the bot, I could do that plus mm. negotiate the price of paper for our printers, plus negotiate the price of ink for all of those printers, plus negotiate yeah. all of that other stuff. And they're doing it across hundreds of negotiations at parallel. So whereas before you would have one person negotiating one thing with another person and you would, it would be vertical, right? So I would only be able to do it with you and then I would have to move on to the next thing. And it became a problem of labor. So we just didn't have the resources. Now, because of technology, we can do it at parallel and we can do it at scale. 
So crazy. And so they negotiate all of these things at scale, at parallel, and they're, they're not only optimizing for one deal at a time, but now they're optimizing because they because the technology talks to each other mm -hmm. from one deal to another, they're optimizing across deals. So they may be willing to accept a lower price over here if we get a, you know, a better price over here or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So that scale is now being optimized. Wow. And it's, it's crazy how much more efficient it is than by using a person. Um, and, and, there's a perception, and this is really weird, there's a perception amongst the people that the bot is negotiating with that this is just a stupid machine, <laughs> that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat, beat the bot in this negotiation. Um, but what those people don't know is that that, that bot has no bias. It has uh, no baggage. Yeah. It has no bad habits. Yeah. It Can't has none of dinner. You can't take it out to dinner, right? It has none of those things, but it knows that you have bias and that <laughs> you have bad habits and that you have all of those things. And so it can exploit all of those. Oh, things. shit. Right. And so now it's using behavioral psychology and behavioral economics to explo exploit your bias and your bad habits, but having none of it in return. And it's just better. It's just better. And so all of this tactical stuff that's happening on tail is, um, is scary. It's, it's, it's being implemented right now. Like if I was to have this conversation with someone a year ago, I'd be, I would be saying, well, maybe 10 years from now, we'll get to this point. Interesting. Yeah. But it's happening today, like right now. And so that for me is, is wild. And then on the marketing side of things, it's, Man, I think it's it's even crazy. Well, before we get to that, because um, I do want to get to that, do you have any advice on how to negotiate with a bot? Because I feel like this is a 2020 issue. <laughs> this yeah, next just, decade, you, you got to. This is why strategy and planning is so important. You've okay. got to know exactly what you need, exactly what you want, and those two things are very different, right? Need is something that you must have. A want is something that's nice to have, right? The emotional aspect of things. Yeah. So just be very clear about what you need and what you want and be very clear about what's, what's good and what's not good, right? What, what would a good deal be? What would a bad deal be? And at what point are we going to walk away from this deal? That's bare minimum what you should be doing. Is, now, is the bot's job just to beat you up until you get to your walk away point? Yeah, I mean, essentially. So right? they're, they're, trying to optimize, they're trying to optimize as best as they can. Right. Mm -hmm. So their job, they know very clearly what their walk away points going to be and if they can walk away and then they just negotiate based on that with all the different things that they've got going on. It's so tough, if, you, right? I mean, if you don't do it, they're just going to be like, all right, see you later. We'll find someone else. Right. And, and cause if you're like, okay, give, give, give. But if it keeps wanting you to give, eventually you have to like, okay, here's our walk away point, but it has to be your actual walk away point because it, it probably, unless it, Unless it's smart enough to know, like, maybe they'll throw, like, a... Because if you say, okay, it's a walkaway point, maybe it walks away, and now you don't have that deal anymore. <laughs> Correct. But, like... So yeah, so like, don't lie. Don't, don't lie. <laughs> yeah. Lie, because it's going to... It's going to... It does... It, it but does that immediately evaporate all of the wants that you have? Like, you have no more wants. You only have your need. It'll get you all the way down to your need? Potentially. But, again, it's trying to optimize the deal between both parties, right? So, if... If you get into a negotiation with this bot, it's going to optimize, optimize, optimize until it feels like it reaches a point where it's got something that it actually has and needs and can now walk away <laughs> at Shit. that point. 
right? So you've yeah. got to you've got to negotiate the same way you were before, but you really got to check your bias and you really got to start planning your negotiations much much further in advance to make sure that you're ready for all the what if scenarios that go like what if they offer this what if they offer that you know what's the probability um, of that happening and then what's the severity of that happening if that probability occurs so you've got to be a lot more statistical and a, a lot more planned out in your process than you would have before yeah because i just expanded my mind just now because you're right multiple dimensions, it'd have no problem with that if it's been programmed to do. Totally. So we could say, okay, or right, right, you really want that? Well, you won't budge on that price. Well, then we're going to pay you net 90 instead of net 60. Correct. You know? Yeah, exactly. You're so like, if this oh. doesn't work for you, then we're going to have to change over here. And then you have to know if that if Yeah. That and then what's the impact of that net 90 change on your cash flow? Right. And then and how he, does that change your capital requirements? Right. Exactly. You had, and, you, and, and that's just two dimensions. What if there's like five um, exactly. per day return things. And so to your point, you have to be very clear on, you have to have your spreadsheet figured out. So you know, what are my zones? Yeah. And I make that kind of, it's almost like an NFL draft, right? Big time. Like who's available. We'll have a few, few minutes here. Maybe, maybe time is a bias though. Maybe you do have time unless, you know what, if they were really jerks, they'd put a, a stopwatch on a countdown, like a chess timer. Be like, no, no, no. We don't have all day here. The bot can make the decision in like four seconds. So like, Nope, you have a minute to decide and tell us what you think. It's, it's way more efficient. It's way, and it doesn't, it doesn't need to take a break. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't need an emotional, you know, day off. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't need that. It right. just goes. Right, but we do. We might need the exactly. time to go back and figure it out. So you'd have to yeah. say, hold up. We'll let you know. We'll get back to you. Yes. If you don't get back And to by the way, that's really important. If your you contract. get into a negotiation and uh, you feel like you need to take time to think about it, yeah. take the time. Yeah, how does that go? What's the best way to do that? Just say, hey, I need time to think about this. Give and me a day. About it. Yeah. Okay, I've done that for some pricing conversations. Like, can we do this? I'll, I'll need to check on that. <laughs> I'll to, yeah. I'll let you know. <laughs> I have no that's idea. It's okay. It's totally fine. Yeah. And that's better than like agreeing to something. Better than agreeing to something stupid. Yeah. You don't know it's stupid till later, maybe. So yep. take it easy. This is crazy, man. Um, well, who are you? How, how did you become so wise in all these areas and all, the, uh, all these places? You know? uh, take, us back, take us back in time, like little Mark days. Was it Mark? Was it Marky? It was Mark. It was Mark. Mark uh, man, how far do you want me to go back? Go ancient days. I mean, so as, I was born and raised goes? in South Africa. Really? Uh, yeah, lived there. Uh, until I was 17, moved to Canada with my family, um, have been living here ever since. And whoa, whoa uh, what was that like? South Africa? It's as a such kid. a beautiful country, man. Um, beautiful, you said? Yeah, it's so beautiful. The wow. people are amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, it could probably do with a, an improvement on the crime and the economy. Say, yeah. um, but the people are incredible. And you will not find a more beautiful country. It's so diverse. Uh, the food is incredible. It's cheap. What's like the any, food? What it, I, I don't know South African food. Lots of, so uh, barbecue is, is big. They call it braai. So barbecue is really big in South Africa. It's, it's massive. Um, so Sign anything up, like man. that would be, would be huge. Are you hosting a conference there anytime? <laughs> I should, shouldn't I? Like everyone fly in. Let's to go there. to a game park and have some barbecue. <laughs> yes. No photos though. No Instagram photos. Yeah. No Instagram. Um, no, it's, it's amazing, man. It's incredible. Um, it's definitely, 
something, someplace that everyone should visit at some point in their life. Were you classmates with Elon Musk? <laughs> no, no. Did anyone ever no. ask you that? Uh, no, actually, no one's ever asked me that. I know, I know where he went to school, and I, you know, schools are a lot different there, huh. uniforms and all that kind of stuff. So very much like the British system. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, he's he's also Canadian, right? So he's um, he moved to Canada for right. university, um, and then now he's in Silicon Valley. You guys are basically the same. We're like we're best we're best friends. Best actually. friends. Yeah, we you get rode each the other. same rhino to school every day. Yeah, <laughs> man. Well, you do. You know what? It's the same sort of story, man. Like if you were, if you were, if you lived in, you know, um, Louisiana, and someone said, "Oh, did you guys have alligators in your backyard?" I mean, maybe that's true, but probably not, right? We get asked mm-hmm. the same questions. Did you guys have lions in your backyard? Or Canadians get asked, "Do you see polar bears every day?" It's not. It's not really like that. <laughs> Yeah, not polar bears though. What about like a like a little grizzly bear? Maybe a little black bear? It, depending on where you live, that might actually might be true. There's a lot of elk that roam through we have a river system in Calgary that roam through the Fish Creek River system. Oh, nice. So you see a lot of wildlife. Nice, man. So so you literally le- left there for for Canada, yeah. So family immigrated. Um, was it for school or just your whole family was no in- whole family mom dad brother oh, wow we all came here in uh yeah in 2001 what was the what was the re- reason what was the thought of like parents just wanted a better opportunity for their kids um, really? so Is it yeah just not like that in south africa or yeah it's just it's more opportunity more than anything else there's still opportunity in south africa it's there's a lot going on um but in terms of the volume of opportunities that you just can't between north america and mm it's just not even close right there's there's no way there's no way i would have been able to do what i'm doing today if we had stayed so really uh the the volume of opportunities is just insane right and so like and that's this is why it's really important for people to understand like look yeah everyone has um has opportunities but some have more opportunities than others mm-hmm. right i mean if you're born in north america the amount of opportunities you have compared to someone who's born you know in southeast asia or in africa or something it's just magnitudes higher magnitudes higher and so i'm grateful every single day for that decision that my parents made because it's man it's delivered major dividends in my life so just a a huge if if you're born in canada or the united states i just want to say to you you have so many amazing blessings that you need to take count of every day. Yeah, I think we can take it for granted so easily. Nothing like your experience of being, I mean, I've, I've visited some of these places and been like, whoa. Um, but to have grown up there, I, I think it gives you a great perspective. Sounds like you've been able to capitalize on that really. Totally, man. It's, and look, yeah. I'm not saying that I, like, I was born into a, a lower middle class family. Sure. We yeah, were yeah. never poor or anything like that. I, I blessed with incredible parents who told me I could do anything with my life and nice. uh, really supported me in every kind of way. Um, but there's, there's a lot of people who aren't right. Like, right. I mean, there's, I just feel bad for like people who are born into, in, not only born into a bad, not a, a worse off country, but also born into poverty yeah. And then also born into a family that doesn't necessarily want you. The odds yeah. are stacked so far yeah. against you. It, yeah, it's wild, man. So I, I'm a big believer in um, equality of opportunity. Like yeah. if, 
if I believe everyone should be able to have the same opportunities as everyone else. Um, and and the, the stack of opportunities that we have in North America is insane. Yeah. So amazing. You can just do, I mean, businesses around podcasting and content and marketing and it's just all the fun things. Oh, it's huge. You, know. you could do anything. You could do anything. That's the great thing I think about digital is that it's really equalizing that a lot across yeah. a lot of countries. So now it doesn't really matter, right? Like to a yeah. large extent, and it's going to get better over time, but now it doesn't really matter, right? The, yeah. the, the digital experience is available to so many different people now. Yeah. And so now the opportunities are starting to get equalized in a much more interesting way. And so a lot of these people who maybe didn't have access to opportunity before because of the internet now have access to that opportunity. Maybe not at the same scale, but certainly it, it's a lot more now, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we get interconnected. I have a good friend, Varun. He's got a company in India, you know, and and different different setup and totally different pay scale. But those people in his company are happy to be in his company, and we're of happy course. to work with him. And it's just like, ah, it's, he's a good. Yeah, and he can dude. create now, right? Which is it, awesome. Yeah, and it, but it spreads like you're saying that opportunity can can go more places now. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, okay. So you went to school in Canada and that was for being an entrepreneur. Like they have a major for that. <laughs> no, I, uh, I went, yeah, so funnily enough, I actually did go to a school for a, a commerce degree with a major in entrepreneurial management, which wow. is funny. Um, but it really taught me nothing about entrepreneurship. I mean, it yeah. taught me great. It gave me a great, I hate great school. <laughs> grounding in business, but it theoretically, but it, it taught me sweet fuck all about business in general. Um, the best experience I've had is, is working and then also now working for myself. That taught me pretty much most of, of what I know. It, the theoretical stuff was important, don't get me wrong, but it, it, yeah, I don't know. I, I've got mixed feelings on the value of tertiary education to begin with, so I'm probably yeah. not the best person to speak to about this because every not, time I'm not my, buddies, my buddies are saying things like, oh, I'm going to go do this MBA. I was like, why? Why, right. why would you waste all that money? That's what a colossal waste of money. Totally. And then other people are saying, oh, dare you? That's that person. I don't know. Whatever. You know? Well, I, I mentor as many people as I can, and um, sometimes they're still in school. And I'm like, just to warn you, you may drop out like Zuckerberg by the time we're done talking. Like, I don't know. I just, uh, right. You, you don't need to be there, but um, if you're going to, if you're going to spend like 50 to 60 grand right. on an MBA, go start a business, right? Start like if you're podcast spend money anyway, yeah. go start a business. Like you, you'll fail and you'll a get podcast, more. right? Yeah. Because, um, and I've also realized like I didn't go to like the, a, a school where the professors have gold on their fingertips. Like they, they were just rainbows come out of their mouths. Like, um, no, right. it was like a, a regular school and they had some good teachers and some terrible teachers. And, but the curriculum was behind. Whereas I've had a chance on this podcast to talk to, um, you know, some people that were like professors at Wharton, you know, it's like, Oh, yeah. Oh, so this is what education actually could be, exactly. you know? So, so you're right. There, it's not black and white. There are some amazing examples of it, but I know my experience was not that, you know? Yeah. It was not that at all. So you did that, but then you went back to school right away. Or was that a little bit? You went to Harvard. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. That was a, so that's a continuing education program okay, that cool. they have at Harvard um, on. So Harvard's got the, the program on negotiation is widely seen amongst negotiation professionals as sort of the, the world's best think tank 
when it comes to negotiation. And so they take professors from Harvard Law and Harvard Business and then also professors from MIT and they all sort of get together and think about you know, the application of game theory and negotiation and how behavioral economics affects it. And then they come up with all these different ideas and theories and papers and they release them. But they have inside this program, a bunch of different educational programs. And inside that they've got um, a few negotiation programs. And I was fortunate enough to go to one of them and learn from some of the best minds in the world on negotiate, which I highly recommend if you ever got the opportunity to do that. It's, a truly incredible experience. Wow. And so, yeah, I took that and jumped in and let's just say that Harvard's not cheap, but it does, <laughs> it does provide you with amazing opportunities. And so um, I, I use that as much as I can. Uh, it's a great experience. Do you have like the, uh, you know, the wardrobe, the Hogwarts wardrobe of, of, uh, yeah, do you get the, the scarf and the, the scarf. hat and the whole yeah. thing? No, I didn't. The pipe, didn't the pipe the to walk, walk down Cambridge yeah. street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I, I can only imagine there's so many things that come from that class and especially when you're trying to like game theory. Um, yeah, you know what the benefit is know. though, is, is really the people that you the hang people. out with. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I say to most people is if you're going to spend the money, go to the best school you can, right? Like if you really want to go and do an education, try and get into the best school you can. I mean, mm. do get that GMAT score up, do whatever you need to do to get into the best school you can, because it's not really, the education is really the same. Let's be honest, right? Like you're going to get the same basic education everywhere, but the quality of people that you're going to hang out with in all these schools is going to be different. So try and get into the best school that you can so that your opportunities just open up, right? The, The people that you meet, the people that they know will open up doors for you because you went there at that time, right? So just... That's the real benefit. That's the true benefit. That is, yeah. The, I'm, the connections, I can only imagine. Um, the connections. Now, what do you think? In the virtual world, is that value still there? Virtual Harvard. No. Would you do the negotiation masterclass no. virtually? No. And pay the same amount? No. No. Like, <laughs> and I've seen like all these, these top-tier schools, these Ivy schools charging the same amount of money for virtual classes. Mm-hmm. The only reason that I'm going is for the networking, right? right? And if I don't get that face-to-face networking where I can have a physical relationship with someone and shake someone's hand and wow. take them for dinner and do that, there's no way. There's no way I would do it. No way. That You may as well go and do something from, you know, Arizona State online. Yeah. Like, it's the Phoenix same now. online. That's right. It's the do. same now. So it's not like, what am I getting? Like, I don't have this relationship anymore. Yeah. The only reason that I was going was to say that I went and I met these people and I had these connections. That's the only reason. Throw that bad boy on your LinkedIn profile. Oh, pimp it show out. Off, man. Show off for the ladies. Pimp it out. That's, that's, <laughs> look, I mean, that's part of the reason that you do it, right? Is to pimp it out. That's, that's why yeah, you, you decorate it. that profile, man. Of course. I, I, like I got to sign up for that because I'm not a very good student, but I, I think I could handle a little continuing education. Especially yeah, man. I respect it, right? The idea of going and getting an MBA, uh, I contemplated it, but then I couldn't get past the idea that I might have to take a social media class from a professor <laughs> who had less followers than I did. And like, exactly. what am I going to teach the class? Like, yeah. no, I'm paying for this thing. But I could see how some select locations with, with the networking in place would be just so powerful. It's, yeah, the networking is what counts, man. Because I mean, you, yeah. you go to an Ivy League school or, or the equivalent in another country, it's, it's the people. 
Yeah. It's not the education. It's the people. You're paying for the people. Paying for and, the people. And the fancy thing that says next to your LinkedIn profile. Right. That's what you're paying. So, but that's a good, it's a good point though. If you are going to go and do one of these schools, make sure you're connecting with people because that really uh, yeah, is the value. Otherwise Even, don't go. Like what's yeah. the point? Yeah. Th there's no point. You go do a DeVry online or a Arizona yeah. state or whatever it is, Phoenix. If you're you just going to, you know, head down and you're in the books anyways, yeah. you can do that anywhere. Right. You can do that anywhere. Right. Go, go to the parties, hang out with all the people, get to know everyone, be friendly with everyone, take everyone out for dinner, yeah. right? Like just, you got to spend, spend the time, but now oh, who knows, right? Great idea. Like, well, when it, when it goes back on, I saw this meme. I don't know if you saw the same one. It was like Netflix, $12, Amazon prime, $15. It had listed all these little SaaS offerings, Hulu, this, da, 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 Disney plus now, which is great. This, and then it, and it says, Harvard, like 50 grand. And it's like, <laughs> some, something doesn't make sense here. One of these is not like the others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's no reason anyone should pay for that amount of money, that, that amount of money for a streaming service, essentially. Right. I feel right? like it disrupt, it's going to disrupt education. Hopefully it does disrupt Big education. Time. Big time. Yeah. I mean, you, you still get the brand recognition, which is great. I mean, there's definitely value there. Don't get yeah. me wrong. That's the whole point of brands. Um, but the, the big selling feature, hanging out with the people and, yeah. and creating that network, it's gone now. So where do you go from, you went to school and then, and then you just tell me, how did this, how did this progress? <laughs> I, so I had, I st right out of university, I started a career in sales and I was in affiliate marketing sales. And oh. so I was selling ad space and I worked in affiliate marketing for a while. You remember, um, I, I remember back in the day, I was doing B2C stuff and we used affiliate programs. You remember those, what were they called? Like, like Commission Junction? Yeah, Commission Junction. Commission Junction is a part of Google now, isn't it? CJ? Yeah. CJ is actually Google's ad program. They just bought the Commission Junction? Yeah. <laughs> so dirty. They're <laughs> buying everything. But okay, what are the, there were some other ones too. Like um, I worked for a company called Neverblue, Neverblue hmm. Media. That was a big affiliate player back in the day. Okay. Um, yeah, there's wow. a lot. So you're, lot. you're in that and you're selling, you're actually in sales. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We, I, there's a, a, I used to do, I was in the download space. So we used to work with bigger advertisers from um, AIC and, and stuff like that to do downloads into browsers. And so we would find affiliates, hmm. people who had traffic who, or who could market, uh, create landing pages around it to drive downloads. And so essentially we were just the middleman, right? Creating these connections. Um, and then I managed an online education portal for a while with a buddy of mine uh, and then left that, um, moved and started a career in procurement and then worked in procurement for a really long time and then got really, really bored and started my own business. And then, which started off as like a blog and a podcast and then transformed into something else. And now it was I was last year. Uh, so yeah, three years ago we started Negotiations Ninja, and right, then right, right. Um, last year we started Content Callout. Um, yeah, Content Callout's brand new. So yeah, and I get bored really easily. I think I've got some weird ADD thing. Um, so it, once once I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do something else now, and then try something else. So I'm sure I'll that, start something. Is that else the call out? Did the call? Was months. that like you did the Ninja? You're doing the Ninja for a while, and you're like, well, what? What else can I? 
do here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, the, the whole idea behind Content Callout was we created an amazing thought leadership brand around Negotiations Ninja. Yeah. Um, and, and it worked, right? I mean, we're now when you think of negotiation training, there's massive negotiation training companies like Karis and Gap and a bunch of different companies. And we're like a five-person team. But because we created um, such a great thought leadership brand, yeah, which is what we were talking about earlier, that top of funnel content. Now, when people think about it, they think about Negotiations Ninja, um, which is we have a disproportionate, like, attention. We have the disproportionate collection of attention of people in the negotiation world with five people, which wow. is insane. That is um, insane. We, we have no business competing against these massive companies who if they played their cards right, could crush us if they right. really wanted to. But because we focused so much on building that thought leadership brand, we now command the attention of the same, at the same level as everyone else. And we're significantly smaller, which is why this is so important, right? Yes. And this, this is why I was saying, like, if you're not creating that top of funnel content, you're just not going to be able to play at that game anymore. That You won't even be invited to the table. Um, and so the whole idea of creating content callout was, well, look, we created this brand for ourselves and we did really well and continue to do really well. What if we did it for other people? What if we could do the same thing? And so we were like, oh, let's just create a company that does that for other companies. And so that's how content callout came to be is to create that amazing content company that look, we know that there's heavy lifting involved in creating all of this top of funnel, bottom of funnel content, mm -hmm. you're probably not going to do it. We'll just do it for you. Yes. So right. we create the brands for those people. We create all of the content. We do all the social media marketing. We become essentially their outsourced marketing department. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Love it, man. Dude, in, in three or so years, you got another one brewing in there? I'm, I'm sure I'll start another one. Uh, between six months and a year from now, I'm sure I'll start another one. It's always, it's always been a challenge for me not to, because before I landed with Cheshire Impact and something that had teeth and I could run with, it was like nine different ideas going at different oh, yeah. times. And totally. Finally I mean, if I told you about fit. all the failed businesses that I had before. Oh, yeah. What's the wackiest one? Wackiest failed business. I, <laughs> I, I, I had an idea that, you know, women and men get really bad nipple stands. <laughs> they, they, their nipples get super perky in the gym. And if oh, yeah. you're a woman or a run, right? Or, or run. yeah. Or if, and if you're a woman Marathons. in the gym, you're already feeling self-conscious about dudes looking at you in the gym and that sucks. Right. So I was, there are these silicone nipple covers that a lot of women wear for, uh, in their bras. And I thought, man, we could do this in the gym. If you're wearing a sports bra, we could just repurpose this and remarket it to athletes that are working out, um, women. Yeah. And, Seems plausible as a guy knowing nothing. Yeah, totally. And it actually, <laughs> actually, I actually think it's still a good idea. Yeah. But uh, I didn't have any money. I ran out of capital. And so I started importing these silicone nipple covers oh. from China and the quality was bad. And then I had to do a bunch of testing because they had to be supple and they had to be super thin, but then they also still had to work. And so we just went through a bunch of tests and bombed and I ran out of money. But yeah, that's probably the way I also tried to import when I was really young. I tried to import like silk ties and that was a really stupid idea. I tried to start a market research company doing surveys 
on interactions with other B2B businesses, which was also undercapitalized. Yeah, there's a lot of I've had That's I've had cool, a, man. a whole trail of those things. failed a failed businesses and we failed business from that, ideas. Right? I mean you learn oh, from totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. For for me it was a play publishing company. I wrote a I wrote a play when I was deployed to Iraq and I had free time on guard duty. Like it was six months of, you know, call of duty kind of, not really. Yeah. And then one month of guard duty was like, okay, now it's your turn to sit on the base in a guard tower for like 12 hours a day by yourself in some hot tower. And, you know, and so I was like, what am I going to do? You'd, I'd read a whole James Patterson book. Like, Oh, my shift's almost done. No, no. I got like another four hours. I'm like, I'm not reading another book today. That's for sure. Um, so I wrote a play. It was funny. It was a comedy. When I got home, I thought I could give this to other people. I could just make a play publishing company. But long and the short, it is I didn't really think about what that company would mean I would do. And so, I mean, I had a contest, the funniest play on earth. People sent me plays from all over the world um, to try to win the contest. And we pick a winner a couple of years in a row. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into it before it even becomes a book, becomes a script for someone to read. And really what that job is, is reading hundreds of shitty plays to find the few that are actually really good. Um, yeah. But hey, you know, they're, and they're just, and maybe they're not shitty. They're just like not good. But you have to like, so I, I had no idea. And so I was like, okay, all, all done doing this. We published a few. And then, you know, when we closed up, we gave everyone the rights back because people had signed over the rights to their baby to, you know, so I was like, nope, you can have them back. I don't want to, I don't want to keep them. Um, but like, what a cool experience to have a bunch of these Very packages cool. arriving at your door being like, oh, I got to, I get to read a play today. This is exciting. And then like, oh, I got to read a play today and then read another <laughs> one and read another one. Yeah, man. I listen, that's one of the biggest struggles that we have in our business actually is, yeah. uh, is finding good writers. True. Like finding writers is really easy. Finding good writers is really hard. Yeah. So like our editor, um, Maria, she's like always on the lookout for such a, like amazing writers. And she's always like, okay, well we gotta, we gotta go back to the well because these ones suck. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys hiring? Yeah. All the time. All okay. the time. Where do you want them to go? What, what do they, uh, how do they apply? Easiest way to do it is to find me online. Um, okay. go to find me on LinkedIn or go to our website, contentcallout.com. Okay. Good deal. Tell them Casey sent you get in the front door, get in the back door. <laughs> um, I got a hypothetical question for you. Um, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire and it's in the back covered in tarp with the squirrels and um, we clean it off after COVID and you get a chance to use it, but it's particular because it goes back in time to meeting yourself just after that undergrad, you made it through graduate a couple of days later just in case you need to sober up you get to you get to meet yourself and talk to yourself what kind of advice so would you give yourself knowing all the things you've been through all the places oh, you've seen man. and things you've done the businesses you tried and failed what kind of things would you tell yourself um what would i tell myself i would tell myself to take more risks i'm i was way too risk averse in my youth and should have taken way, way, way more risks. When you're young, you, you've got nothing. <laughs> right. That's the time. Uh, that's the time you got to be spending taking risks. And I think if, 
if I had to do it over again, I'd tell myself to take way more risks. Like go get a massive loan from the bank to start a business. Just go get as much money as humanly <laughs> nice. possible. Find find any VC who will give you money and start a business because that's you don't know, right? Like there's you're gonna fail anyway. You may as well fail big, right? Like bomb. Just bomb and and make your bomb massive. So I would I would take way more risks and I would take way more chances. Way, do, way Do you more. take them now? Yeah. Nice. I do. Yeah. Nice. But now you got stuff. You got kids. We now got, I got kids. Now got I got stuff. a family. Yeah. I got a wife and stuff. And now I've I feel like I'm taking bigger risks now than I was in my youth, which is insane. Right. But when you're young, you have nothing. You have nothing. Um what do you have? You have student loan debt? Like maybe you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Yeah. Take the chance. Take a Definitely risk. Do some go travel. Bro. Go yeah, travel. Go do stupid shit. Go, go try stuff that you would never think that you should try. Like if you think to yourself, well, I'll never, I don't know if I'd ever start a business, just force yourself. Mm. Go try it. You're never going to know if you're going to like it unless you try it. Go, I don't go bankrupt, right? Like risk everything, go bankrupt. You got seven years back, right? Like get the seven years back. Then you're young. You're like, what are you like 18, 20 when you 22? What do you care? Right. It doesn't matter. Figure it out. You'll be fine. Go get like, it. Yeah, just go go do it. Try it. Risk it. Hell That's yeah. probably really bad advice. You should, probably should not take that advice. But I don't know. Well, here's the question. If you would, just take the risk. If you told yourself that, would you listen? And how yeah, would you get probably, yourself to listen? I probably would. I probably would. I'd probably say, look, you're going to fail anyway. Right? All of these ideas, they're yeah. all going to fail anyway. So you may as well fail much bigger think much bigger get way more money and if you're going to fail fail big and then pick yourself up again and try again what's the value to failing bigger than smaller you never know if you're gonna like if i had had more money in some of those businesses if i was capitalized they would have succeeded right like yeah right like it it just would have worked and then you would have even if it did fail you would have been like okay it failed and now I've got all this experience and I've made all of these connections with all of these VCs or, you know, these banks, but I'm only yeah. 23. So I've, my runway is so much right. longer now. I've got all of this experience and I know exactly what not to do. <laughs> right. And now right. I can go, okay, well, the next one is probably going to work a yeah. lot faster because now I know what mistakes I shouldn't make. I, the value in failing is so big, but if you're going to fail, fail big. Go yeah. all the way. Yeah. I, I'm a big proponent of that. I, I, I think school teaches us, you know, to, to not fail. And that's, that's okay. But if, if you really want to succeed, you've got to learn what, what it's like to fail so that you can learn what not to do. Yeah. Otherwise, you're never, you're never going to try. Now, I would, my advice to myself would just be to go and tr- risk more. Risk, risk more. Risk more. I love it. Dang, man. That's good stuff. I didn't realize you're a philosopher as well as a negotiator. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's probably really bad advice. Anyone listening to this right now should really try and <laughs> measure that against something else. Take it with a grain of salt. Is this the, Take it with this a the, grain of salt. the legal disclaimer after the commercial? <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's okay. I mean, we, we learn things and it's true. When things are going right, you're like, I'm invincible. I'm amazing. When things go wrong, you're like, Hmm, how do I avoid this in the future? Yeah, exactly. I don't know, man. There's, I feel like we've been led astray by a lot of like what's what are commonly held good advice. Sure. Like, like buy what, a house. Like what's, I think that's shitty advice. But buy a house. Don't buy a house. Like yeah. that's really bad advice. As an investor, like tie up all your capital. Fuck that. That's a bad advice. In a Try single and find location, a really, really cheap place to rent, and that's yeah. it. And we all fall for it. I don't know. I just there's a lot of advice out there that everyone says is common sense, but it's like ah, it's, it's not good advice. Yeah. It, or maybe it's top of the funnel content from the realtors. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. That's right. what it is. Or from the banks, right? Like, right. yeah, it's the most secure investment you can make. Uh, it's a house with a massive loan over your Yeah, head. exactly. Where we yeah. benefit. <laughs> crazy, man. It's crazy. Well, hey, where can people connect with you? You mentioned earlier your team's hiring. You're looking for great writers, but also people just want to reach out and say like, yeah, hey, you're the reach man. out anytime. Um, contentcallout.com. Um, is probably the best place. And then just find me on LinkedIn. I'm super active on social. So uh, reach out anytime. Happy to talk. It may take me a while to get back to you because I'm always behind on messages and emails, but I will get back to you. Got it. Don't be a weirdo. Say where you heard him. Yeah. Tell, tell, yeah. Tell me where you heard me. Tell me yeah, that you random heard LinkedIn invite, you know, yeah. don't be weirdo. Say, say hi. Um, <laughs> podcast is contentcallout.com slash podcast as well as negotiations ninja negotiations.ninja slash right. podcast so cool so cool dude this has been fun man uh, been i had a great time man you. thank you so much for having me on we didn't even do the scotch or wine like we we're talking about uh, i know next time next time next we gotta time do we, yeah, yeah let's let's get you know three fingers deep into a, a glass of scotch and we'll make yeah. it happen you know, I don't even drink scotch, so this will be a great experiment. Get me on a recording, being like, "Let me." What, do you drink any kind of? Let hard me liquor? tell you. Um, you know, I'm kind of, have you had moonshine lately? Moonshine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, listen. It's it, interesting. Come experimenting right liquor now. Liquor is very heavily regulated in Canada. I know. So Not to send you some. We don't, we don't get screen. any amazing like backwoods moonshine, so I'm gonna have to get some. So it either tastes really good or it makes you go blind. So you have to get the right kind, right? <laughs> that oh. sounds like a big roll of the dice, man. <laughs> you said take more risks, man. Come uh, on. Nice. Oh, not like that. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Well, hey, for those people listening, um, if you learned something, and I know you did because I have two pages of notes over here. I ran it on paper. Then uh, share this with someone. LinkedIn is a great place for that. But put what your takeaway is. Tag Mark. Tag myself. Say, hey, this is great. Here's what I learned and link to the episode. And what's cool is we'll hop in there and comment too. That's how you show thought leadership. That's how you teach other people around you about things you learned. For sure, go check out these podcasts that he's got. I can't wait to do that and listen to those. Mark, thanks again, man. It's been fun. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you to all the listeners as well. I appreciate you listening to all my crazy stories. Booyah. Until the next time we have you come back on here. Three fingers into scotch and moonshine and all those things. Um, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.